for that. And uh, yeah, the, the Pope is down here because I'm too short, amen. And so we uh, um, had to adjust because the uh, stand that we normally use is being used elsewhere. And uh, whenever we tested the, the video before service and I stood up in the pulpit, it cut off at about my chin there. And so we had to uh, come down here. So and we'll have a good time either way. But uh, I find it funny. And I could tell Pastor was trying not to laugh or wanted to laugh. And, and so it was good. And, and like they say, um, you know, learn to laugh at yourself because you'll never run out of jokes. Amen. And so there you go. But uh, let's go and open our Bibles this evening to the book of Second Kings. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter number two. And we're continuing our study uh, through the Bible. And so want to go ahead and uh, uh, just kind of just remind us of a few things that we've done. But if you noticed, uh, we've been very um, much uh, looking at a lot of different people in the Bible because uh, these books uh, obviously are recording history. We look at uh, David, we look at, uh, um, you know, just the different, uh, you know, Solomon and, and everything else and uh, Elijah and, and so forth. And um, an author had made the statement, his name is uh, J. Sidlow Baxter, and he has a book called Explore the Book. It's a commentary that I use pretty extensively. And he made the statement, it is always good to consider the personal character of God's outstanding servants. For by doing so, we come to see the kind of persons whom God chooses and uses. And we can learn from these people. Ultimately, we want to uplift the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the one that's worthy of honor and glory and praise. But you read a lot of the Old Testament, and there are prophecies about Christ. Or there's pictures of Christ and different things that people did in their lives, not knowing what they were doing was really a reflection of something that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And so we can learn a lot from these different people that God has chosen to use. And so... We're in 2 Kings tonight, and we'll read verse number 14. This would be a theme verse, so I'll give some thoughts here um, after we read this and get into the, the message here. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, look at these next words here, this question, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And let's go ahead and pray this evening. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you for the time that we can come into your house. I thank you for the blessings that you give to us. God, being able to, to be around your word. And God, we need your word so desperately. God, your word is what changes lives. And it's like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. And, and God, your word is like a burning fire shut up in our bones. And, and God, I thank you for your word. And I pray that as we study your word tonight, that you'd open our heart and mind and help us to grow, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In reading through the book of Second uh, Kings, I, I've been, I normally look at a couple commentaries and I try to gather some different thoughts. And, and just reading personally, a, a recurring theme, um, I, I saw a recurring theme and it was this, that it would discuss the different kings in the book and then it would say if they did that which is right in the sight of the Lord or if they did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And I came to the conclusion that as you read First and Second Kings and you read the books of First and Second Chronicles and it deals with these different kings, um, you find a term and it's this, uh, legacy. Legacy. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Um, when, whenever you go to the grave and people stand at that funeral, 
What legacy will be um, left behind by you? What will your name be known as? Hold your place here in uh, 2 Kings. We're going to come right back to it. But go to your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Uh, the book of Proverbs. And again, we talk about uh, last week we were dealing with, or last time we studied this, we looked at, uh, um, you know, at the time, the time before Second Samuel, we're looking at Solomon and David and why they were blessed and just the ethics of them. And so let's go in our book, book of Proverbs to chapter number 22, Proverbs uh, 22. And uh, David was a king that uh, was a man after God's own heart. David was a king that was known as doing that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, David taught his son Solomon some things about ethics and some things about character and so forth. And so Solomon writes the book of Proverbs. And when he writes the book of Proverbs, he's writing to his son, who would eventually become a king. And, and you see this, uh, the, 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 the traits being carry, carried on from one generation to the next. You see a good legacy. And so in Proverbs 22 and verse 1, the Bible says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor uh, than silver and gold. And so you find here that Solomon, I believe, learned from his dad what it meant to have a good name. And because of that, Solomon is now teaching his son to have a good name. And you find in, in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings these different people who rise to leadership, and ultimately you find that they either had a good name in the eyes of the Lord, or they had a bad name. In the eyes of the Lord. And so you see that there, just the, the thought of a legacy. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind whenever you die? What are you going to be known for um, whenever um, you go off into the grave? And there's a lot of good things we should be known for, but ultimately, I think we should be known as Christians. We should be known as Christians, just uh, true and faithful Christians. And, and there's a lot of other things. I want to be known as a good husband. I want to be known as a good father. I want to be known as a man of God and, and things of that nature, but I want it to be said that I, I was a follower of God, and because God was there, everything else fell in alignment. And, and we see here that people either put God first or they put themselves first. And whenever they put God first, even though they were sinful, they still did that which was right in the eyes of God. But whenever they put themselves first, um, they always did that which was wrong or evil in the sight of the Lord. And so, legacy, legacy. Um, the question tonight is this, what will you be known for? What will you be known for? Um, pastor, and we joke about these things, and he said, every time I preach, I talk about meat. Amen. I guess I'm known for liking meat. And uh, my first word was carne. Amen. Like, literally, I walked up to the table and asked for some carne. That was my first word, and my mom would tell me that with this pride and joy, like, that's my boy, he, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I had to live up to that uh, name. Amen. So I like my meat. But, uh, you know, we're known for different things. Uh, we're known, some people are known for being hard workers. People are known if they're um, hunters. People are known if they're, um, you know, lazy. People are known if they lie and, and that kind of thing. And there's a statement uh, that uh, I saw someone make, and I thought it was just a very interesting statement about character. And it was this, the only, uh, there, there's some people that the only thing you can count on is that you can't count on them. And that's sad. And we shouldn't have that kind of character. We should be dependable. We should be truthful. We should be um, honorable. And so what name do we have? When people look at our lives, does it show that we are true followers of God? What kind of legacy are we leaving? So the book of 2 Kings, just a quick few thoughts. Um, 
Again, my thought of this is it's about legacy. Um, there's uh, the theme verse we read here, and it's uh, found again. You're talking about where is the Lord God of Elijah. We're going to look at that in just a few moments. Um, the author is unknown. Um, people think it was written during the captivity of uh, Babylon. Uh, we're not sure exactly um, who wrote it, but someone wrote down the facts and so forth. Um, a basic outline of this book is um, chapters 1 through 10 deals with the ministry of Elijah, or Elisha, rather, the ministry of Elisha, chapters 1 through 10. And then you have chapters 7, 11 to 17, and it's the events that lead up to the Assyrian captivity. And this is dealing with the northern tribes of Israel. And then you have uh, from there, from chapters, uh, so chapters 1 to 10, the ministry of Elijah, uh, Elisha, um, chapters 11 to 17, the events leading up to the Assyrian captivity. And then you have chapters uh, 18 to 25, leading up to the Babylonian captivity. And what happened was this. The nation had been divided, and there was the northern tribes, which was known as Israel, and then there were the two southern tribes, which they were known as Judah. And when you look at the, the northern tribes, and you see what they had, there wasn't a single king that did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. They were known for being evil and corrupt, and they were the ones that were led into captivity a hundred years before the southern tribes were led into captivity. The southern tribes, again, were known as Judah. And eventually they ended up going into sin as well. And they had a great national reformation, but they didn't have a genuine revival. And on the outward they conformed, but on the inward their hearts were far from God. And God knew that, and he raised up prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah to come in and preach to them. But they were one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. And because of that, eventually they went into sin, and God led them into the Babylonian captivity. And so we see that in, these, in this book here of Second Kings. And so, again, what will you be known for? What is your legacy? We're going to look at three different uh, um, categories here today. And uh, the first is this, the legacy of the man of God. So let's look here again in uh, 2 Kings chapter number 2, and we'll pick up in verse number 12. The Bible says, And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him, referring to Elijah, no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back by, and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he, and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view it at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And so you see the legacy of the man of God. Now, understand this here today. I believe every born-again child of God. If you're a male, you could be a man of God. And if you're a female, you could be a woman of God. I believe every single one of us here today can be someone that is known as a person of God. Not just that we are a Christian, but the term that's used when it talks about Elijah and Elisha, they call him 
the man of God. And when I look at that, that's not a name that's just limited to pastors and to preachers and to evangelists or missionaries or, and so forth. Anybody who's saved can be known as one of those things. And, and we should strive that we will live such a Christian life that um, they will look at our lives and say, that's a man of God or, or that's a woman of God. You ever meet a person and, and it's just like God is all over them? I mean, it's just something about them. You know, it's, it's, I use this as a silly joke, but I think it's kind of funny. You can tell when someone's been in an all-subs, amen, because they smell like a chimichanga all day. And uh, so it is whenever you can tell when someone's been in the presence of God, amen, that there's just something about that person that you know God is on their lives, and, and God is real, and God's hand is upon that person. I think of a, a dear lady in the church that I got saved at, her name is Miss Nita Wood, and uh, she was the wife of one of the deacons in the church, and uh, she, she was just one of the godliest ladies I've ever known, and, and she just had a spirit to her that you knew that she knew God. And if you wanted somebody praying for you, you wanted Miss Nita Wood, amen? You wanted that lady praying for you. And when you look at that, there's just that touch that some people have. And, and it's interesting, so often, you know, you go out in the world and you see people and you know when they are living in sin, you know even to an extent as you've come across people who may even be possessed with a foul spirit or, or something like that. And you can tell, man, that person, there's something wrong in that person's lives, you know, especially if they're possessed or whatever, you can tell that um, pretty quickly. Yet we who are God's people, we who are are saved, we who have the Spirit of God indwelling in us, um, can the world look at us and say, um, the Spirit of God is in that person? Like they said in, in, in the, about Joseph, a man in whom the Spirit of God is, that they could tell that God is on that person. And so you find Elijah, and he just left the scene. He went off to glory, as we just read in this passage of Scripture, and, and the, the chariot came, and there's a chariot of fire, and there's horses of fire, and, and uh, as he was getting ready to leave, uh, he asked Elisha, his helper, uh, what do you want? And he said that a double portion of your spirit would fall upon me, and, and he says, all right, well, if you see me taken up, um, so be it. And as they're walking, all of a sudden, that chariot comes between Elijah and Elisha and puts them apart, and, and he sees them go he sees him go up and the mantle falls down to the ground and he falls in the ground and rips his shirt and all that kind of stuff, real theatrical. And, you know, there he goes and he's crying for his, his, uh, his uh, mentor as he goes off to glory. And he gets up and he gets that mantle and he whips it on those waters and he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He wasn't looking for Elijah. He was looking for the God of Elijah. And see, that's what made the difference. That's what makes a person be a man of God or a woman of God. It's this. They know the God of those people. And understand this. We, we've had some great men of God um, come through pulpits just like ours and, and preach across our country. And what made them great wasn't that person. What made them great was Almighty God. And so Elisha looks and it says, where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Elijah. I'm going to read to you a thought here about Elijah versus Elisha here. It says, um, as he cried, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Some people, when they ask this question, really mean, where is Elijah? Where is Elijah? Elijah was, a, was the flashing eyes and the voice of thunder. Elijah, the, the spectacular man of God with mighty victories. No, 
Elisha um, was not a, Elisha's cry was not a cry of despair, of unbelief. Uh, Elijah uh, may pass from the scene of his victories, but the God of Elijah still remains, amen, and is ever ready to work today. The danger today is that we are trusting in the mantle of Elijah and not the God of Elijah. If all the famous preachers of the world should die tomorrow, God would carry on his work without them. Amen. He is still the God that answers by fire. Um, it is sheer idle folly to cry and despair whenever we trust these men. God buries his workmen, but carries his work on. The prophet was not glorying in Elijah's faith, but in Elijah's God. Amen. I'm thankful for that. God buries his workmen, but his work carries on. And so you see here, this legacy, as we look at this, was really a testimony of God. Yes, he was the man of God, and yes, God used him, but the thing is this, people die. They get buried. Um, they go off into glory, but God is still alive. And that was the legacy of both of these men was this, that they trusted in God himself. And it wasn't the, the individual who had the power. It was God who did the work. And they trusted in that God. And so my question is this, as we consider our legacy, when people look to our lives, do they look at our lives and say, that's a person who knows God. They know God. So often we grow up knowing good Christians and we know about their God, but the question is this, do we know their God? Do we know God? And here's the thing, God can be known in every single one of our lives. He doesn't just uh, say, well, I'm going to be special to that person and that person, even though they want my touch, I'm not going to um, let them um, pray. Or no, no, he, he, he wants us to know him. And God is not a respecter of persons tonight. And, and I'm thankful for that. As it's been said concerning salvation, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And let me say this here, the ground at the power of God is level. Amen. Um, anyone can come and seek God for his power. Anyone can come and know God and, and know the God of Elijah. And so you see this legacy of Elijah as it's passed down to Elisha, and it was really ultimately the work of God. They knew God. They knew God. See, I fear in our day and age, uh, we, uh, we, we make big of the man of God. And let me say this, the man of God is worthy of double honor. And, and I understand that we're to respect um, the elders of the church and know them which labor among us and, and obey them that have the rule over us. I fully understand that. I stand behind our pastor and so forth. And I believe our, our church does as well. But understand, sometimes the man of God becomes an idol. He becomes an idol, and as pastor has told me, uh, we get Baptist popes, and, and there becomes an allegiance more to a, a pastor that has a big church more than the pastor of a church like ours, and, and so forth, or an internet famous preacher, or whatever the case may be, long before there ever was the internet, even though we're using it now, and, and that kind of thing, long before there ever was radio, long before there ever was a cassette ministry, God ordained the local New Testament church, and, and God uh, said, we, we could have his power, and you don't need a worship man, um, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so I fear sometimes we, we make uh, men to be more than they are. And ultimately, it's just this. The men of God that we look up to know God. And we could know God too. And that's what it boils down to. And so I'm thankful that we can know God. What kind of legacy do we have? Do we have a legacy that we know God? Because he knew God, you see God working. 
in his life. Let's go to chapter number 2 and verse number 19. It says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground is barren. I'm looking at that and saying, How is it pleasant then if there's no water? But uh, everything looks good, but we're dying here, is what they're saying. And then you go to verse 20, and he said, Bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to him, and he went forth unto the spring of the waters and, and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith who? The Lord. Amen. I have healed these waters. Who healed the waters? The Lord healed the waters. It wasn't Elisha that healed the waters. It was the Lord that healed the waters. It says, There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. And so, yeah, they give him the credit because he's the one that prayed. But ultimately, it was God that did the work. It was God that did the work. He, he was known as a man of God. He knew God. Go to chapter number 4 and verse number 8. Chapter 4 and verse 8. Here, I'm already looking at the time. I know we're not going to get through all of these, and, and I'll be doing Sunday school, so I may just pick up where we leave off here tonight. But uh, looking at Elijah and Elisha here. Chapter 4 and verse number 8. The Bible says, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And so, and she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive, look at this, that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, which that tells us Elisha wasn't a tall guy because he needed a little chamber. Amen? He didn't need a big chamber. And so let us pray, uh, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a, a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither and it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. That's where we get the term, a prophet's chamber, where churches, they have maybe a, a room built off in the side of their church, or a whole section, or, or that kind of thing, and they let the preachers come in and stay, and they call it a prophet's chamber. That's where they get that from. But as he goes... He's going forth from one place to another, and as he's doing these different things, he's performing miracles, and he just performed a miracle and multiplied a bunch of oil, very similar to Elijah in his ministry. And as he's passing by, just doing his work of, as the man of God, the, the woman knew something was different about him. She said, I perceive that this is an holy man of God. His walk uh, gave it away. Amen. They knew he was a man of God. They, they were living in a very sinful society. He, he, he was preaching around in Samaria. That was where the, the northern tribes were. And th those people were wicked. They, they had temples they had built and, and idols. And, and they, they did it very similar to uh, Aaron. And ever he built the golden calf and said, These be the gods that brought you out of Egypt and that sort of thing. And, and that's what the king had done there in the northern tribes. And so it, it's a very, very wicked group of people. And everyone is involved in idolatry. Everyone's not only involved in idolatry, but because of their idolatry, they're involved in immorality, and yet they look at this man and they say there's something different about this man. And she made the statement, again, a holy man of God. I perceive that this is an holy man of God. Again, when people see us walk, what kind of legacy do we have? Can people perceive that we are the children 
of God? Can people tell that I'm a man of God, I'm a woman of God, and it's convicting to me? Because uh, I'd be honest, I, I'm one of the most introverted people you meet, and yeah, I could talk in church and have a good time. I don't know how. They, they call it like an extroverted introvert. You ever heard that term? I didn't know you can. It's like, you know, an oxymoron, you know, that kind of thing, like Christian rock. They just don't go together. But an extroverted introvert, amen? And so that, that's what I am, and, and I'll get around people and have a good time. But as soon as I'm done, I have to go into a cave somewhere and just like recharge and that kind of stuff, and I'll stay up at night sometimes just uh, by myself just so I could try to recharge and, and things like that and, and, and because of that when I'm in charging mode so to say I don't talk to anybody not a single person I'll, I'll make a beeline run to the store if they're open amen and, I'll, and if I don't have to wait for two hours outside I'll get what I need and, and get right back out no chit chat nothing and I'll be honest uh, um, I don't like to run into people out in public I just don't it drains me especially when I'm in charge mode now I have to put that aside and go and say hi so if you see me saying hi to you um, that kind of thing just know man he, he must be really he must really like me amen so just plain but uh, I do love our people in our church but it is hard for me to talk to people it, it really is and to my shame, because of that, I don't witness the way I probably should. I don't testify the way I probably should. I just don't. And, and, and that's to my shame. And, and as I consider that thought, how often do we, as God's people, we get so busy in what we're doing that we don't take time to minister to people and to see a need that's represented in this man he was available to these people. When he had walked by, um, they knew and they would entertain him and, and he would be cordial with them and they ended up building him a chamber all because of this. They knew he was a man of God because his walk was different than the rest of the people all around. Can people tell that we are the children of God? Does our countenance show it? Um, does our spirit show it? Um, does our character show it? Do, do, do our, our morals show it? You know, I remember there was a, a preacher in the church that I got saved at. He had been an assistant pastor, and he used to go to the, to the back in, in Albuquerque there in Isleta Boulevard. There was a drive through liquor store, and he would go to the, to the drive through liquor store and hand out gospel tracts. There was a people who were, were going by, and they come through, and they get their liquor, and he'd give them a gospel track and go on. And, and all of a sudden, someone drives by, Brother so-and-so, what are you doing here? And he looks at them, what are you doing here? And that kind of thing. They should have been there, amen. And, and they got caught red-handed. They were at the altar that next Sunday there. But, but you know, just... What does our testimony say about us when we're outside the walls of this church and we're outside the company of God's people where it's easy to, to fit in as a Christian, but when we're out in the world and we're on our own, what does our testimony say about us? What legacy do we have? And so you find here that there's the legacy of the man of God, and it was ultimately this, that they knew God. And everybody around them knew that they knew God. And so I want to challenge us as we consider these thoughts here tonight, what is our legacy saying about us? And so there's a legacy of the man of God. We'll look at one more and we'll make it real quick here. There's a legacy of a bad king. Let's go to chapter number three and verse number one. Chapter number three and verse one. The Bible says, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So there's, he reigned in Israel. He was in the northern tribes. And Jehoshaphat was reigning in Judah, the southern tribes. And it says in verse 2, And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. 
For he put away the image of Baal that his father made. So Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked, and, and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't as bad as them. But it still said that he wrought evil. That was his testimony. But look at this next statement. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin and departed not therefrom. And so you find here Jehoram, and he is known as an evil king, but then they say, not as bad as Ahab and Jezebel, but they say he, he, he still held on to the sins, there it says, of Jeroboam. And so you see three people mentioned here, and all that it mentions about them is how evil they are. I mean, you think about that. Three groups of people, two generations, and a king in the, in the, in the past, and it says how evil they were. And I look at that, and I say, man, what, what a horrible testimony that here's these three people, and the only thing that could be said about them is that they're evil. I mean, that, that's bad right there when you consider that thought. And that's just the legacy of sin. That's just the legacy of sin. Now, I know none of us are perfect. No one in this room is better than anyone else, and no one is less of a sinner. We're all sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. And you don't have to teach us how to sin. It's just how we are. You look at babies, and they're little. And babies, they're adorable and lovely, but they're some of the most selfish people you ever meet. Amen. You have to break that selfishness out of them. One of the very first words baby learn is mine, 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 and that kind of thing. And if it looks like mine, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If you have it, it's mine. If it's not mine, um, but you want it, then it's mine as well. And it go on and on and on. That's just how babies are. And you you see the nature of sin, just the, the selfishness. And, and so we're all sinners. I, I get that. And I'm thankful we could be saved from our sin and we can grow in the grace of Jesus Christ and we could begin to put those things off and, and so forth. And that, that's part of Christian growth. But these people, they were just known for doing evil. It's just what they did. That, that's their character trait. Again, we read the, the proverb, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You look at Elijah and you see a good name. You look at Elisha, and you see a good name. You look at these men, and you see a bad name. You see a bad name. And so what kind of name are we leaving behind? What kind of testimony do we have? And ultimately, we're going to leave a testimony of this. Either we did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, or we did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. What kind of testimony are we leaving? I want to leave a testimony that says, I did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Not for me, but because I know it's right to do. And because God is glorified in that. Jesus Christ said, let your light so shine before men that they may what? See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They need to see good things that we do and it brings glory to God. And God is worthy of our good deeds. And God is worthy of us putting off our sin and, and walking in light as He is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful that we can do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. But these people did that which was evil on the sight of the Lord. And you look again at verse 3. It says, Nevertheless, he clave unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not um, from he departed not therefrom. And so you find here this the sin of Jeroboam was this when, when he caused the people to sin, he, he had made a temple, two temples rather, and they, they made these golden calves. And he said, very, very similar to Aaron, these be thy gods, which brought you out of 
Egypt, and they worshipped those false gods there. And as they did that, it was pretty much like this. Here they were, they had progressed, they came out of Egypt, they got into the promised land, God had given them all these promises, they, they have the law, they have the covenants, they, they have the promises of God concerning David and, and the Messiah. They made so much progress. And he says, all right, let's go all the way back over here to the beginning. And that's when he took them all the way back there. And he caused them to backslide and caused them to go after other gods. And you see here, that's what he was doing. And yeah, he wasn't as bad as Ahab, but he still didn't encourage them in the things of God, ultimately leading them in a way of sin. And that was his testimony. Uh, he was a stumbling block. He, he was one who caused people to sin. Let me say this here, especially you young people. You need to listen here. You choose friends. And some of them are going to cause you to stumble. Some of you are the stumbling block. Why don't you choose to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord? And if you have somebody that's going to cause you to stumble, um, don't go on the same path as them. Amen. Get, get on the right path. Amen. Get on, on the path with God. And you see here that they caused people to stumble. I don't want to see anyone stumble, but sadly, um, some people cause others to stumble. Uh, if someone's going to cause you to sin, they're not a real friend. They're not a good friend. And let me say this, they won't be there for you whenever you get in trouble. They're never there. They never are. And so let's just remember that. And let's do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. So what kind of testimony do we have? What kind of legacy do we have? So we see Elijah and Elisha, the legacy of the man of God. They knew God. Then we see the legacy of a bad king. And they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, when we get to Sunday school, we're going to look at the legacy of a good king. Amen. And so we'll pick that up next Sunday school. But I want to challenge us here today. What legacy are we leaving behind? When people look to us, do they see faithfulness? Do they see good character? Do they see honesty? Do they see integrity? Do they see righteousness? Do they see that you're not lazy? Do they see that you're on time? Amen. Little things like that. Those things make a difference. They really do, and there's people watching us. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What do people see when they look at our lives? Do they see that we know God or that we do evil? And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer.